Merry Christmas. This is the Christmas episode. If you're listening to my voice, then clearly you're driving somewhere on Christmas, or I don't really know. But either way, Merry Christmas, Meg. Let's have a cheers. Slasha. Yeah, what you said. Merry Christmas. So obviously we are recording, not on Christmas, but super excited for another one. This one is kind of a, well, how would you describe this one? It's not an, an uplifting one, but a lot of the stories that we do are not very, I guess, uplifting. And for whatever reason, we've decided to do a lot of murder stories during the holidays. So we went ahead and did another one. And by we, it was me. And I do have <laughs> to thank producer Zach. He has stepped up. He's feeling it again. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm assuming that they got into a routine with the kids and everything. And he's got a couple ideas. He had an idea for a Christmas episode. And I said, let's. Let's stick with the murder. Let's stick with the murder. I don't know why that always goes in my brain. But uh, so this one was done by me. If you don't like it as much, then it's not Zach's fault. It's my fault. But there isn't going to be a whole bunch of big words that I can't say, hopefully. And I've been practicing how to say the main name in here. So obviously, this is the Your Town Podcast. And shout out to the Deluxe Edition Network. Go check them out. The podcast of the month, especially it's a deluxe edition pod and the Steven Crypto Show. It's going to be pretty much, it is going to be the last one, right? Yeah, it's going to be the last one of the year that we say that one. And the next week when we come back, it's going to be a New Year's Day episode. So uh, you guys will be hungover, or if you're not a drinker, then you'll just be listening to us. And uh, I'm excited for this one. Like I said, only because I get to spend some time with Meg in the studio. And again, I don't know. You think we should uh, do the thing or should we tell them? In case they didn't read the title, what we're talking about. Just do the thing. Okay, we're going to jump into it. Hopefully I'll edit the intro in right now. But last time I did the intro at the beginning, so I don't have to say press intro now and forget about it. So we've already done the intro. What we're going to talk about, because again, murders and one of the most talked about, I guess, Christmas Day murders that I've ever heard. And I think a lot of people is the killing of John Benet Ramsey. <laughs> Sorry you, got, to, you got nervous. I got nervous because anytime you put a little tilde, isn't that what it is? A tilde above a letter. I feel like I should say Jean Bonnet, but uh, I didn't. And again, it's not an <laughs> uplifting story. It's it's not the happiest thing. Maybe you shouldn't listen to this with your family at Christmas. But again, this is something that's captivated people throughout the, the world for decades. And I wanted to talk about it. Ready? Mm-hmm. All right, let's do the thing. So we're going to go back to 1996. All right. A little bit different times. I can, I can picture myself being uh, 11 years old, probably opening up a toy laptop while my brother got a Bigfoot. Super jealous about that. But obviously, it could have been much worse. It could have been the Ramsey family in Boulder, Colorado. Um, it's the stage. It's the scene of the most infamous crimes potentially in history on Christmas Day. Uh, as mentioned, John Bonet was a six-year-old beauty queen and was discovered murdered in the family's basement on Christmas Day. And to this day, the case is still unsolved, um, even though it's shrouded in mystery and speculation. And this is something that you've heard about, obviously, right? Yes. Uh, because you sh- you taught me how to say the name properly. Yeah, I was in like middle, probably the middle school, early high school mm-hmm. when that yeah. happened. And how did how did you hear about this? Was, uh, was it like radio? Uh, was it still TV? Um, um, it was everywhere. Was it? The papers, the n- news. Yeah. Which is the only reason I say that is fast forward till now, 2023, because at the time of recording, it's 1223, 23. And I mean, you're really not going to see the news probably on the TV. It's going to be all over your phone, social medias, and just a little bit uh, different time setting the scene. 
So I remember sitting on the the living room floor at my grandparents' house and seeing it come up. Like breaking news. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. I debated doing that podcast voice the entire time and Meg shot it down. So, <laughs> all right. Let's set the scene. Christmas lights, they're twinkling. Festive decorations adorning the Ramsey household. The perfect backdrop for a joyous holiday celebration. And then the tragedy strikes when Patsy Ramsey, John Bonet's mother, finds a chilling ransom note. And do you remember anything about the note? Hearing about it? Vaguely. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into the note, though, I just want to throw in here that there was just a ton of kind of strange and, and terrible events when it comes to, you know, finding who did this. The crime scene was compromised. The media frenzy surrounding the case kind of reached unprecedented levels. Theories range from an inside job to an external intruder. And it just kind of left the public just kind of grasping for answers. And first thing I want to do is I want to talk about the ransom note, the crime scene. Yeah, let's just let's go with the let's go with the note. So it, it's apparently important to note that the ransom note was highly unusual. The note is or was or I guess still is a two and a half page handwritten ransom note that was left or found or whatever on the kitchen staircase. The note demanded one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars for the ransom. And apparently John, which was the father in this, pointed out to the police uh, that came first on scene that it was the exact amount of his Christmas bonus the prior year. <laughs> Dude, make some money. Imagine getting $118,000 Christmas bonus <laughs> in the 90s. But um, so that kind of suggested that somebody <laughs> kind of would have that information and access to that information you know, to be involved in the crime, obviously. Investigators looked at several theories behind the dollar amount. Uh, they considered, you know, employees at Axis Graphics who may have known the amount of John's bonus. They also considered the possibility that the ransom note demanded was a reference to, um, you know, a biblical thing with the 118. It spoke to religious sources to determine the possible relevance. The ransom note did appear to echo a film dialogue. The film's a ruthless people, ransom, escape from New York, Speed and Dirty Harry, hmm. which I thought was kind of a little bit interesting with yeah. the 118. Um, but apparently, because of the length of it, it was just a little bit too long. The FBI told police that it was very unusual for such a note to be written at the crime scene because police believed that the note was staged because it was um, because it did not have any fingerprints except for the mothers and obviously the authorities who handled it. And because it included an unusual use of exclamation marks and initialisms, the note had a practice draft um, that uh, was written with a pen and notepad. It was actually right from the Ramsey house. But apparently federal court ruled it highly unlikely that the mom wrote the note, huh. even though she was the one that kind of found it. And then there was the 911 calls that were made by Patsy Ramsey. Uh, the emotion in her voice, the chaos, did it really hold the key to uncovering the truth? Or were they part of kind of like a carefully constructed narrative? So two police officers responded to the initial 911 call and arrived at the Ramsey house within three minutes, which is wild. You know what I mean? Um they conducted a search at the house, but didn't find any sign of forced entry. Then there was an officer, Rick French, went to the basement, came to a door that was secured by a wooden latch, paused for a moment, and then walked away without opening it. French later explained that he was looking for an exit route used by the kidnapper, which uh, the closed inside peg would rule that out. 
And actually, John Bonet's body was found right behind that door. That's crazy. Isn't I mean, it was right there. But what's even more crazy is apparently the team and everybody else initially believed that the child was kidnapped. And John Bonet's bedroom was the only room in the entire house that was um, just blocked off to prevent contamination. No precautions were taken to prevent uh, contamination of evidence anywhere else in the house. So then you had friends, um, you know, just a whole bunch of people, even the minister of the family come to the house. They're like, hey, we want to be here. We want to support you. They were picking up things. They were cleaning things and probably destroying evidence. You know, it's crazy to think about, you know, and obviously we've done some different kind of stories and some stuff and the technology, the crime scenes, the police training and stuff like that has really evolved over, you know, the last 20, 30 years. So in 96, that's just kind of how it was handled in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, from there, the, the case did continue to take some more twists and turns. Suspects, they came and go, they're gone. And the cloud of suspicion lingered over the Ramsey family. But crucially, DNA evidence found in 2003 started to give a little bit of hope. There was some DNA that belonged to an unknown male person and excluded the DNA of each of the Ramseys. The DNA was then submitted to the FBI's combined DNA index system, the CODIS, um, which is a database that contains more than 1.6 million DNA profiles, but the sample didn't match anybody in that database, which I think is kind of common, you mm-hmm. know, especially with the, the way technology was then. But yeah. then in 2016, October, a report said that new forensic analysis with more sensitive techniques revealed that the original DNA contained genetic markers from two individuals other than John Bonet. So a lead investigator to the DA's office said that there were additional traces of male DNA found on the cord and paintbrush that Boulder District Attorney Mary Lacey did not mention, and that there were actually six separate DNA samples belonging to unknown individuals that were found by the test. There was crazy, right? I know. Then you have a I, what? I just I see it's over just there. It's crazy, like how so much slips through. So much in these older cases. Mm-hmm. Which I guess, yeah. thankfully, you know, in the times that we are here. You know what I mean? The technology and the way that things are done are much better. But we we see year after year, you know what I mean? Story after story from the 70s, it seems to be even worse. But Mm -hmm. this case in the 90s isn't overly that much better. Uh, Then you have a former FBI profiler, Candace DeLong, who believes that the DNA having shown up identically in several different places on multiple surfaces belongs to the killer. Forensic pathologist then Michael Baden said trace amounts of DNA can get on places and clothing from all different non-suspicious means. And there's no forensic evidence to show that this is a stranger murder. And I mean, just you have so many different people from the FBI to, you know what I mean, this case to this person, this department, this department, and none of them could agree on anything. Mm -hmm. It's just all over the place. Uh, Then you have experts. Uh, media commentators and the Ramseys have identified potential suspects in the case. Boulder police initially focused almost exclusively on John and Patsy, but by uh, October 1997, they had over 1,600 people in their index of persons of interest for this case. The case was looked at and uh, just kind of passed off several times with opposing views. The Ramseys were in and out of court just for years and years and decades and decades. And just, they were even almost indicted for placing the child at risk that actually led to her death and obstructing an investigation. 
But then in 2008, there was a Boulder district attorney and their office announced that as a result of newly developed DNA sampling and testing techniques, which is touch DNA analysis, that the Ramsey family were excluded as suspects in the case. So they were publicly exonerated, which was pretty wild and really upset a lot of kind of people because of this and the, the way that things were publicized. Mm-hmm. Um, but because then in uh, 2009, it got turned over to a new Boulder County DA, and they found that statute of limitations for the crimes had kind of occurred and that they didn't even pursue the case against the Ramseys. But then in 2010, the Boulder police then reopened this cold case. They kind of realized that errors were made uh, in the initial investigation, which obviously complicated the resolution in the investigation. And at the end of all this, there's pretty much two main theories. So one of them is the family member theory. FBI profilers said it was a 12 to 1 probability that a family member or a caregiver was involved. One theory is that Patsy struck John Bonet in a fit of rage after a um, bedwetting episode and then actually strangled her to cover up what had happened after mistakenly thinking she was already dead. The case of John Bonet Ramsey, a show that was broadcasted on CBS on September 18th and the 19th in 2016, actually took a group of experts to evaluate the evidence. The group then theorized that Burke hit his sister in the head with a heavy object, they thought potentially a flashlight, because she stole a piece of pineapple from his bowl. Um, Obviously, he didn't intend to kill her, being fairly young as well. Then they suggested that the ransom letter was an attempt to kind of cover up the circumstances of the death. Pretty wild. Mm -hmm. Pretty wild. But then there's a second one, uh, which is the intruder theory. The police and the prosecutors followed leads for intruders, partially due to the unidentified boot mark that was left in the basement room where John Bonet's body was found. Kind of early people of interest include a neighbor, Bill McReynolds, who played Santa Claus, Chris Wolf, who was a local reporter, whose then girlfriend reported him as a suspect. Then there was a family housekeeper, Linda Hoffman, uh, and a man named Michael Helgoth, who died in an apparent suicide shortly after John Bonet's death. Hundreds of DNA tests were performed to find a match the DNA recovered during autopsy. It was believed that the intruder subdued John Bonet using a stun gun and then took her down to the basement. John Bonet was killed, and then obviously the ransom note was left. So, <sighs> and obviously, we did mention earlier in the episode she was very heavily involved in competing in beauty pageants, which attracted pedophiles. And, you know, there's from what I've read in the research I've done, apparently there's a lot of those people that find their way into child pageant scenes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was determined that apparently there had been more than 100 burglaries in the Ramsey's neighborhood in the months before the murder. There were 38 registered sex offenders living within two miles of their home. One of the individuals whom... Um, was identified as a suspect was Gary Howard Olivia, who was arrested in June 2016 and was a suspect in October 2002 that was actually aired in an episode of 48 Hours Investigates. There was a false confession that was in 2006, and it ended up not going anywhere because they interviewed, they did everything, and there was just no match on the DNA. I mean... Two theories. I mean, uh, not knowing the case, but reading a lot of stuff. I mean, either of them seem plausible and it's just terrible. I mean, because you, you fast forward to today, the case is still unsolved. Uh-huh. 
I mean, theories abound, but there's just no concrete answers, you know? I remember when it first happened, the big theory about it being like a stalker. Yeah. And you have to imagine, like we kind of talked about, if this was to happen today, I mean, the chances of finding them right out the gate with, with the DNA, I mean, all this DNA not being contaminated, like, and, and there was even, you know, with the theory of somebody breaking in, uh, there was the boot mark and everything. There was no forced entry. There was no like other boot marks. They thought that potentially came in through some of the windows because they had windows kind of cracked for Christmas lights to run out of the house because mm-hmm. they were plugged into the house. They thought down in a basement that there was a potential that somebody snuck in there, but the window wasn't broke. There was still cobwebs. There's there's a lot of pictures of still the cobwebs that were over the window, which if somebody would have went in, they would have broke the cobweb and everything. So just a lot of things mm-hmm. not adding up, you know? And I mean, if it ended up being somebody in the family, I mean, having to live with that your whole life, couldn't imagine. Um, obviously, the case is still unsolved. Got all the theories. And I mean, you know, it's just kind of one of these things like, why does this case continue to captivate us? You know, what are the lingering questions that just continually keep people up at night thinking about it? And I I just kind of think it's that combination of a perfect storm. You know, the innocence of a child, the Christmas season that just turned tragic and just so many unanswered questions. Like you feel like it's right there. How could they not figure this out? And obviously we're on the outside looking in. But it's just it's just a terrible thing. And it was very public. Very. Especially for the 90s. Yeah. Just just crazy. And, and you really feel for, for not only the little girl, but the, the family. You know, it's a tragic thing, you know, no matter what time it is. And, you know, being Christmas, it's even worse, you know. But, hey, there you have it. That's kind of, you know, a glimpse into a pretty perplexing mystery of the Christmas Day murder of John JonBenet Ramsey. We may never fully kind of unravel the truth. I know we aren't. We're, we we don't have the ability to, but the legacy of the case just kind of lives on and just it's going to continue to haunt the pages of the Your Town podcast. Shout out to our sources. Wikipedia is pretty much where I got every single thing of it. So shout out Wikipedia and the uh, killing of John Benet Ramsey page. So we do have a quote. You want to you want to read the quote or do you want me to? Uh, I can if you'd like. I would love that. I've done a lot of talking. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, we've uh, we've we've had a really good day and um, I just can't. It's Christmas. I'm so excited. I love Christmas. (laughs) All right, let's do the quote. Hit the quote. Most murders are committed by someone who is known to the victim. In fact, you are most likely to be murdered by a member of your own family on Christmas Day. And that was by Mark Hayden Haddon. Yeah, I thought it was pretty fitting, right? Mm -hmm. There you go. That's our tip. So. Obviously, thank you for joining us in another episode of the Your Tom Podcast. I believe it's episode 38, and hopefully you guys, uh, you know, have a very Merry Christmas, and we'll be back for New Year's Day. And if you guys have any thoughts, theories, or even a story that you want us to share or cover, please reach out to us on social media. Like I said, Zach, is he's got some ideas. He's got two or three different episodes he's going to be writing, and we would love to continue to add to things that he needs to write about. So. Let us know. Maybe uh, maybe Meg will come up with one. Maybe not. I don't know. I got the look. You guys can't see the look, but I got it. But either way, Merry Christmas. And uh, like I said, we'll see you guys for New Year's Day. And hopefully you enjoyed that. I did. You enjoyed, Meg? I did. Perfect. All right. Merry Christmas. It's bringing back a lot of memories. A lot of memories, right? CRTTV.com. What'd you get for Christmas, you think, in 96? 
96. I think that was the year. I got a crochet vest that year, I think. Ooh. Doc Martens. Ooh, Doc Martens. Shout out Doc Martens. Maybe they'll be a sponsor of the Yorktown podcast sometime. We'll bring them back. All right. That's all we got. You got anything else? Mm, I don't think so. All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.